the recording? Ah, yeah, we're rolling. All right, awesome. All right, we got on my my good friend Aaron Wellman today. Aaron is the former strength. Well, shit, he's he's the former strength coach everywhere. Uh, former strength coach with the New York Giants. That's where I met him. Um, and now he's with Indiana. He's gonna kill it over there. Uh, and and I mean this. He's he's just one of the smartest dudes I've ever met. So uh, here's, here's Aaron. There he is. Welcome. Welcome, yeah, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's uh, good to be on. It's also good to see you. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. So last, last time I saw Aaron, he, uh, it was, what, the day after you, or a couple days after you accepted the job from Indiana, you brought your son in to train with me. And then, then you had to, you, how, how many days after you accepted the job did you have to run out to Indiana? Uh, I think I accepted the job officially on a Friday, and uh, I think the following Wednesday I made the drive. So, you know, about three, day, three days turnaround. Typically, how it, unfortunately how it happens often in this profession, but it was also the timing, right? It was kind of a late. It was in March. Typically, these things happen uh, early January. So I had to, uh, you know, unbeknownst to us, we didn't know the shutdown was imminent. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So. So tell me exactly where did you start off? Where did you start interning? Where did you go from there? Because I, I still don't know if you even interned and where you, where you yeah. went to college. I have no idea. Good I, I question. Barely... Let me uh, do this as quickly as I can. So I went to a small school in Indiana, a Division three school called Manchester University. Um, played football in Manchester. And immediately when I graduated, which would have been in December of 96, I interviewed and accepted a graduate assistant position at Indiana University. And so I got my start here. So this is kind of a homecoming of sorts. So January of 97, I started as a graduate assistant. I finished my master's degree, my first master's degree in May of 1998, at which point Indiana just happened to be hiring a full-time. I had kind of served two roles, really, a graduate assistant, but we didn't have a full-time assistant. And so at that point, we were hiring. And I was fortunate enough um, to assume that role in May of 1998 as a full-time assistant strength coach here at Indiana uh, and stayed in that role until uh, July of 2001. Um, so I was here almost five years, at which point I went to Michigan State and was an assistant strength coach at Michigan State for football team. Was there three seasons, but really just a little over two years because I got there July of um, 2001 and I left in December of 2003. Uh, and in January of 2004, I accepted the head strength position at Ball State University, uh, which is a MAC, Mid-American Conference School in Indiana. I was a head strength coach there for five years, and we were fortunate enough to, in our last season in 2008, to go undefeated. Um, at that point, I left with the head coach who took the head football job at San Diego State University, so I followed along. I was the head strength coach at San Diego State uh, for the 2009 and 10 seasons, just two years. Um, again, we had a successful 2010 season and uh, went to University of Michigan as a head strength coach in 2011. Um, that lasted four, four seasons, at which point we did not have a successful season and we all got let go into, after the 2014 season. Um, so first time being fired in the profession, looking for work. I landed as an associate head strength coach at University of Notre Dame the 2015 season. And then following that season, I was fortunate enough to be hired as the head strength coach of the New York Giants and, and was there, as you mentioned, 16, 17, 18, and 19 seasons um, before really coming back home to uh, Indiana here a couple months ago. 
Okay, so you you said you said your first master's degree. How how many how many degrees do you have? I've got a I got a ma- in in Indiana. So so I came here as a graduate assistant. Obviously, part of that is is taking graduate courses. So I received a master's degree. Uh, is in the kinesiology department, but the specific master's was just applied sports science master's degree. Um, then when I got hired full-time in Indiana, you know, I'm single, I have a full-time job, um, and they would pay for six credit hours a semester free of charge. So I took advantage of that and started a master's degree of nutrition science, uh, which really didn't finish. I started that in, um, 1999, I believe, and didn't finish it till 2009 because I had left Indiana. I went to Michigan State. I went to Ball State. I kind of got away from it and really had, I had about six credits to finish and finally did that 2008 season. Uh, so finished a second master's degree 2009 and then about five years later got the itch to do a PhD. Um, so started a PhD in August 2014 and finished that in June of 2018. So about two years ago. Uh, and I think, I think I'm done. Although I had a conversation <laughs> with my wife last week while she was in town about one more. So, oh yeah, what what would this be? Uh, what was the last one in? The last one was a uh, PhD in the um, School of Health Science and Medicine at Bond University. Essentially, looking at um, essentially a PhD in sports science, looking at um, practice and game demands of college football players. And what will this next one be in? Well, I don't know if there's going to be a next one. I just kind of <laughs> I wanted to bounce it to see what reaction I got off my wife. And it, wasn't, <laughs> it was not favorable. So we'll see. And Aaron, who was, the, who was your supervisor again? I remember when we was over there yeah. and you were explaining you were doing one hour a day for three or four years. And that was the way you broke up your PhD. But your supervisor was um, was Tim Capit. Oh, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's yeah. It. And Chris is, Chris is now at the University of Southern Queensland. Mm-hmm. He's since left Bond. My, my PhD was through Bond University and Chris has since left and um, accepted a, maybe he's probably two years into a position at um, USQ. Cool. And in that nutrition uh, science, in those credits there, is that where you discovered all of the, the carnivore? Because Aaron was the first crazy guy that I met that would only eat meat. Would, <laughs> didn't, want, didn't want any salad sauce and no croutons. That's what I remember. So... <laughs> well, I don't think that I don't think they they teach that in formal education, right? But like a lot of things. But um, I've always been extremely interested in nutrition, um, not only for performance, um, but for longevity and health in general. And so um, that's something I still, you know, I read as much of that as I possibly can. But um, but no, I don't think that was part of the formal educational track. <laughs> So, so to tell you how out of his mind is, okay, Aaron, Aaron, again, one of my favorite, favorite strength coaches in the game, he would wake up, what, at 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m. every single day, and then you'd be at the Giants facility by 5 o'clock? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's um, 5 at the latest. I mean, if we're, if we're, training, <laughs> if we're training, I'm going to be in there by 4.30. And in college, I mean, I spent years in college getting in at, I would get in at three thirty. Oh, three thirty. Um, but you know, I've all so I've always been a morning person. Right now, I, I'm not up till midnight. You know, I'm in bed at nine nine thirty so that I can do that. I mean, but um, but I've always you know that's the one 
know, two, three hours of the day that typically go uninterrupted, right? Yeah. I mean, you get in at 3.30, there aren't many people in there as well. And, and so you get work done, whether it's a workout or, you know, and I always had it, in, particularly in college, I would have 6 a.m. workout groups. And that was, uh, that meant the staff meeting took place at 4.30 or 4.45, which meant I needed to get ready for a staff meeting so that I was prepared, which meant I got in at 3.30. And so um, I, <sighs> the second college go around, I, I vowed not to do that to my staff. So what time do you guys, what time do you guys plan on starting now at Indiana? Well, if we have a, you know, if we have a 6 a.m. look group, we'll all be in by five, I'll, which means I'll be in probably four, four fifteen again. Um, but again, it's something that um, I've never, I've never, I've always been a morning person. I've always been, if I'm laying in bed at five o'clock, I'm always, I've always been concerned that someone else is up working to take my position. Right. That's, that's, what it would, and it sounds funny, but learning more than me or doing more than me. And so I've always, that nervous energy once the clock hits 4.30, um, that I've got to get up and get moving. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you think were some of the bigger mistakes you made uh, at Michigan with the Giants and, and, and even at, at San Diego that you, you don't plan on, on replicating with Indiana? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's probably, I mean, I continue to make mistakes. I yeah. just I just hope that they're less frequent and less intense. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, so early on, I think. I mean, we could fill it. I think probably, if we're honest, a five-hour podcast on the mistakes we've all made. But early on in my career, is was, was having a poor understanding of really of of external loading and, and the physiological response to external load, and it was I had a poor understanding of trying to um, understand all the stressors, particularly in college athletes that are involved with college athletics. And so we tend to see a strength coach. I saw them when they came in the room and when they left and didn't account for anything else going on in their life. Right. And so why can't they handle the stress or why aren't they working hard or why aren't they excited about training? Well, he just had three final exams. His girlfriend just broke up with him. He's got problems at home. Right. And so that's, I was, I was really, blinded to that or whether I was blind or not didn't want to take that into account for whatever reason I think so early on I think I think that was a major source of problems where you know guys didn't respond some guys didn't respond to training as favorably as other guys and, and I always looked to my training program or their work ethic as opposed to other things that could potentially be negatively impacting response to training and so understanding those things. I, I just remember as a young strength coach taking guys through an eight-week program and testing week nine, and not everyone got stronger or faster or jumped higher. Me under, and me trying to figure out, is it my program? Well, no, it's not the program. That's the training process, right? And so um, there's got to be some, some whether you look at Isserin's terminology of realization phase, whatever it is, they, they, there's got to be some time for uh, a deload, a super compensation, the body to adapt. And those, so th those are things I think as young, as a younger swing coach, I had a poor understanding of, or at least a, a uh, poor understanding how that worked in the applied setting. Obviously in textbooks, we see that, but until you, you can read all you want, but until you train a group of a hundred athletes through an entire training process, it's tough to learn those things. Right. And so, but I mean, I think we all kind of, you know, 
I used to program eight weeks at a time. Now I program one week at a time. With, <laughs> you know, with a mindset on where I know where I want to go in week two, three, four through eight. Yep. I know the end in mind, but I never know how a hundred of our athletes are going to respond to that training session. And then inevitably they all respond to varying degrees, possibly negatively. So just, I think as a strength coach, what I've become better at, um, certainly not where I want to be, what I become better at is, is the individualization of training, being able to subjectively um, see when, when a player isn't responding as favorably as I want, and then knowing where to go, right? Okay, plan A isn't going to work for this guy. I know exactly what he needs, and we go to plan B. But we also look at a lot of objective markers, too, to kind of support what, we, what we're thinking is. Like what, which objective markers are yeah. there? Yeah, and so we, we do, obviously, as you guys know, there, there's 100 pieces of data we can get from 100 different um, technologies. And we try to do a few things and do them really well and things that we're comfortable with and know how to, you know, if, if your data, whatever you're getting, doesn't drive training decisions. And to me, it's, I don't know, there's no point in, in wasting the athlete's time or the coach's time in evaluating the data. Um, we're going to look at, we look at some just some basic force velocity profiling, not only in the weight room with jumps at different loading intensities. Um, we'll look, we'll evaluate things like reactive strength index. Again, those are just jumps. Um, and then on the field too. So looking at split times of, of a 30 meter sprint and trying to determine from that where we need to go with that athlete's training. Does he, is it in the acceleration phase? Is it more of a top end speed? Does he need more strength work or power work? Um, but but all the and, and then we use some of force plate analyses, right? We think it's important for us to know how an athlete not only develops force, but how he absorbs force as well, left to right. And, and so and so, do those does that do those data 100% drive our training programming? Not necessarily, because the data sometimes supports or makes you ask questions. Um, but as coaches, subjectively, I like to think that. You can't ever replace the eye of an experienced coach. And so we try to hire coaches who are experienced, who can see things and, and um, make some training changes on the run, certainly. But, but really, some of, that, some of that programming not only to some regards are performance measures, but also helps us guide training. But, but I think you, you take in the whole picture, right? What the athlete, I, I want to know what the athlete's feeling. I want to partner with that athlete. I, I want to know, look, the only reason he's training with us is to become a better football player. So are you a better wide receiver because you've gone through mm -hmm. three, four months of our training program? That's the ultimate question. So partnering, and that's one thing I learned in the NFL is, is really partnering with the athletes. I, I want to know if you're a wide out, when you're coming in and out of your breaks, tell me what you're feeling. Because if, if my training program isn't helping you do that, then, then we're just posting bigger numbers for the purpose of, of just general strength, which at some point we got to really be specific into what what a, what performance measure we're trying to improve. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So, so when you see a guy, uh, obviously in the NFL, you're not you're not doing any real testing. I mean, you 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 don't have you don't have the opportunity to do any any kind of max testing or any kind. I mean, do you can you even do any tens uh, or twenties or anything like that? Uh, it's um you could, but. We didn't do any sprint testing, but I think we tried to incorporate testing as part of our standard training, right? Yeah. So, 
So if we're going to test hamstrings, if we're going to do, let's say, for instance, a lot of teams do a Nordic hamstring. Okay, so if you're going to do it, why not do it on a Norboard and test it? If you're going to do any jumping in the program, why not put them on a force plate and look at it, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to quantify bar velocity, that's a, while it's not a maximum strength test, if I move a bar as fast as I can or jump as high as I can, that is a maximum effort, albeit at low load, high velocity. So, so we would, we, anytime we're doing that, we try to quantify those things. So instead of, instead of setting up tests specifically for testing, we would train and then quantify what we, uh, the velocities we're training at or the loads we're training at, and that's how we would gather more. So, we, so if that makes sense, we incorporate yeah. it in our training as opposed to testing for the sake of testing. And you're going you're gonna to take that into Indiana? Well, I think I think we have a greater opportunity, Mike, to test here because, you know, in the NFL, as you as you know, in the NFL, and for the listeners who don't know, January, February, March, and half of April, we don't see our players. Yeah. So when they come back to us in middle April, we have no idea the physical state of that athlete, what they've been doing, uh, any loading they've they've incurred in the last eight weeks. We really don't know. In college, we have a really good sense of it, right? We're going to be with our athletes pretty much the entire year. There's a, there's a good chunk in May when we're not, but then we'll get them back for eight weeks in the summer. So we will have a level of comfort knowing that our athletes can handle, if, if we decide to test, quote unquote test, they can, we're comfortable knowing they can handle those loads because we've seen them handle it for the previous six weeks. Um, whereas in the NFL, to spring a sprint test on an athlete who hasn't maximally accelerated in 14 weeks would be, um, wouldn't wouldn't be a wise decision. Yeah, yeah. What what are you what are you using to uh, measure the sprint stuff? Are are you using like a just a basic timing system, or do you guys have something pretty sweet over at uh, Indiana? Well, we have a, we have timing gates here, but we also have a ten eighty sprint. Yeah. Oh, nice. And so um, and so we'll, we'll all of our athletes will have day, and we've and one thing we did the first two weeks here because we were we were preparing to. I got here on a Wednesday. They left for spring break. So we, we were looking at about 11 days to start our training back from spring break. And so um, until we knew they weren't coming back, we, we spent a good chunk of the day evaluating every sprint profile and acceleration profile of all of our athletes, looking at any data we could get our hands on, trying to just have a sense of where the focus of this athlete's training may be when they come back, right? Um, so we looked at a lot of that. And, and hopefully we get our athletes back here sooner than later uh, and we're able to evaluate some of that with the 1080 and, and start and start those procedures. But that's that'll be the main on-field speed evaluation. That and we have, like I said, we have electronic timing gates that we're gonna rely on. How how many 1080s do you have? We just have one. And um, how many how many guys used it? Uh, we have we have data on most of our guys, but I think it's you know, I think it's one of those things where you have to have a you have to program for that, right? So yeah. if I've got four groups or five groups of 20 athletes, um, we can get them on the field and, and do – if I've got 20 athletes after a warm-up, we can do an acceleration day where we've got four stations of five guys, and they all roll through, and that 1080 sprint is one of the stations, right? And so it's never going to be perfect, um, but we, we can set a day where we're not fatiguing them prior to doing that. We're working on some mechanics. Um, and doing some other things that, that um, we can get everyone tested uh, in a day on the 1080. Wow. It's a long day, right? Yeah. But, yeah. But I mean, that's um, if, if we go 
five two-hour blocks, um, which, you know, that's typically, and when I was at San Diego State, I had, I had nine lift groups a day. Um, and so that's, hey, you got a lot of guys and, and you want to train them as individuals as you can, you, you have to do that. We can't train two large groups typically, you know, so. Is, is Indiana Big Ten? Indiana's Big Ten. So you guys have, how many, how many groups will you plan on having a day? Well, in season, it's a little bit different. But in the summer, we have 120 guys. We'll have, I'll have probably five lift groups a day um, at about two-hour blocks. You know? And very, very specific as to who's in what block, or is it based off of scheduling? We'd prefer to be specific. But, again, these you guys have to deal with summer classes and schedules. So um, you, you may have the gamut. You may have six different positions in a lift group. Um, yep. Or you may just have one. But um, – but, yeah, we'll see what that looks like. And right now, to be honest with you, we're just – that's a little more granular than I've even thought. We're just trying to get guys back on campus. <laughs> yeah. Right now it's just if we do get them back, if and when, how do we keep them safe? And mm -hmm. the groups will be more based around if you five guys live together, we should probably keep you five guys in the same lift group so you're not exposed to other individuals outside the group. So a lot of it's going to be based upon that in class schedules as opposed to positions initially. Right on. Now, we're prior to this, it, you made it sound like you're you're developing different force velocity profiles for different different uh, athletes, even within position. Is that yeah. is that accurate? That's accurate. Um, and I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like we've cornered the market in force velocity profiles. Yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of questions. I. What, what I do think, though, is there, there are buckets of athletes. And, look, most athletes are going to need both, right? High force, high velocity, mm -hmm. uh, neither, neither of which are developed to high levels in a 19, 20-year-old, right? And so they get a blend of both. But you do run across, you know, I think we both agree that the 18-year-old who gets faster, jumps higher, and gets stronger on a program, if he continues to follow that same program for four years, will not experience those same results as a senior. And so I think not only do individuals vary, but intra-individual within that same individual, his program should vary based upon um, strengths and weaknesses at the time, whether that's a year later or whether that's six months later or whether that's two years later. And so to have a constant um, kind of a, a, a thumbprint for force velocity profiles of each athlete, to know, look, hey, because I've had, I've, had, um, I've had offensive linemen in college who were very strong, who squatted 600 pounds. And so the question as a coach is, do I get them to 615? Mm -hmm. And my answer to that is, why would you do that? Right? The, the window of adaptation for rate of force development speed is probably much greater than it is for strength at this point for this athlete. So not that we say, hey, he doesn't need to be strong. It's just that the emphasis will shift. And so we want to establish baselines of where our athletes are, how they handle load, what those loads are, the velocities at those loads, compare them to the people in their position, compare them to themselves over time, and then that'll help us inform. That's not going to make the decision for us. It's simply going to inform decision-making, right, as to, as to what the emphasis, where the emphasis should lie. Now, look, when we get all of our players back, if that happens this summer, to me, we start ground zero. Right. The assumption is they haven't done much, even though we've been sending workouts out. So 
we've got to build some work capacity. We've got some other things. But as we get into it and, and really spend year-round training our guys, we should have a pretty good indication based upon what we've seen, how we see the player perform, what the player feels, and the objective data as to where that training program should be going. How many different programs would you be running simultaneously then? So we'll write up a general, I start with the general template for skill guys, for big skill players, for O-line, D-line, for quarterbacks, and for specialists. So I kind of have five different templates, right? And, and I don't believe that there's a punting specific lift, okay? But there are some things, there are some things we may do more with specialists than we do with offensive or defensive linemen, right? Um, so we start there. But within that, that's when we take, and so everyone starts there. So we've got about five different workouts going. And, and then based upon what we see from performance measures, we influence that. Now, I think what scares a lot of coaches is how do, if I have six different positions and he needs velocity more, and we determine he needs more velocity base, he needs more strength base, he needs more power base, what do I do? I can't, this isn't a performance center. This is a team, and I get that. How we've handled it in the past is very simple. So if, if the three of us are in a room and I need more of a strength emphasis and Mike, you need more power and Brooke needs more speed and we can all do the similar exercises at different velocities. So if we're all doing a hex bar deadlift and I'm a strength emphasis, I may start each rep from the floor from a pause, right? I'll lift it and maybe I go to a jump, but maybe that jump is a squat jump with weight from a pause. More, so we're still hex bar deadlifting, we're still jumping, but it's more of a strength bias. Right, you may be touching going on the hex bar deadlift, and you may go to a counter movement jump because you need more power. And Brooke may be whatever we determine. Uh, he may do a hex bar power pull at higher velocities, then go to a three hurdle hop where we're looking at ground contact times and and fast. So we're all hex bar deadlifting, we're all jumping, but the speeds and velo the velocities at which we're doing those and the intents are completely different. Mm -hmm. Right, and so I think, I think there's ways to do this within a team setting that when the outsider comes in and looks and goes, wow, they're all jumping and deadlifting. They're all jumping and squatting. Yeah, we're all doing it at different velocities, different intents, and different strength qualities because, because we all have different deficiencies or different emphases within our training program. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty awesome idea. Um, with, see, my... my my issues with that uh, comes in, let's say, with a short to long approach or even progressing any kind of plyometric, right? So it, with, with all the plyometrics, if you want to get someone to do reactive stuff, even though they may be reactive guys, they may not do it competently, right? right. So, so it's how do, you, how do you progress something along those lines with still keeping the same theme? Like that's, that's complicated as hell. No, it is. And, and this, typically I look to this, you know, let's take an eight-week eight, eight week program in the summer. Let's say we have eight to ten weeks. Again, like when we come back, I'm going to assume that everyone is strength deficient. That they're deficient in strength, they're deficient in work capacity, particularly after this. So, so we won't, we're not going to jump into differentiating training programs. Yeah, yeah. Right? Six, seven weeks in, after we've gone through strength progressions, jumping progressions, short to long speed acceleration progressions. Now we can, I really look at like the last, like let's say the month of July, we've got three weeks to report to camp. Now, what do you specifically need? We are, we are all at the point now where we can do higher velocity sprinting. We have been, 
we can do more plyometric type jumps or reactive type jumps because our, our soft tissues, we've built resiliency, we've built robustness in the soft tissue. We've gone through those progressions. But I also believe that there are some guys who will not benefit from jumping, from even going into plyometric progressions in July. To your point, I think there are some that need that and will and will benefit from that. But I, I want to get to the point where early July, from a robustness and resiliency of soft tissues, we are all able to handle that workload if that's what if that's what what the data and, and what we see if that's what it calls for for that particular athlete. Um, and certainly, when we do, you know, when we do any type of plyometric where we're, we're quantifying ground contact times. You know, one of the things that, that I do is it, plyometrics, for instance, I may set up, uh, you know, 24-inch hurdles, 12-inch hurdles, and maybe just players are jumping over hash marks. If they can't demonstrate the ability to get over the implement and get off the ground in under 0.2 seconds, then they go to a lower implement. If the, and so, we, so they would actually have jump mats between implements. And so we're quantifying, we're quantifying <laughs> ground contact time because, as you know, working with athletes – it's competitive and there's ego. So yeah. I'm jumping over a 36 inch hurdle. No coach, I can do it. We have to turn the ground 0.35 seconds. And with the jump mats, it's easy to say, look, go next door, go to the lower. If the focus is ground contact time, let's quantify. As you mentioned, testing, that's not, that's a test, but it's not real. It's part of the training. So if we're going to quantify ground contact time, put the jump mat there. He can see it for himself, go over to the next implement a little bit lower and, and get shorter ground contact time. So what is the emphasis? How are we going to measure it? And that, that kind of guides training. So, so you're utilizing these metrics. You've identified these metrics as being, being important constituents for certain progressions elsewhere. What, what reliability do you think they have, right? So if you're basing it off the ground contact time and then you're saying it's going to progress them into something else, what is making you say that, this is allowing them to do that. How are you, how are you measuring the improvement on that? I, that's, that's something that I'm, I'm always skeptical of, of saying like, even, even like a peak performance uh, indicator, right? Or peak power performance indicator, right? You're, you're, you're trying to develop as much force or expose the body to as much force as possible. So by exposing yourself to the force specific to, let's say the jump or the counter movement jump, that's supposed to improve your, your vertical jump. But what happens when it doesn't, yet the ground contact time is reduced or the peak performance, uh, the, the, the peak force is, is still increasing? What, 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 is, what is dictating this for you? Yeah, and so that's a, a great question. Um, and I think that's a tough thing to discern sometimes and, and for a couple of reasons. One, so if, if we look at, the 1080 sprint on the field. Now we've, we've quantified specifically acceleration, more horizontal force production and, and locomotion on the field. Okay, that's important. The quantified locomotion in a team running sport, right? Uh, if we do that in a weight room via jumps and have force velocity profiles of body weight and let's say 95 pounds, 135 pounds, it's just varying resistance. We look at how does load impact that athlete's ability to produce power, produce velocity. And then we look at something like a RSI, reactive strength index, that gives us a measure of elasticity. Mm -hmm. So we feel with those three buckets, we're, we're kind of hitting a lot of areas. Now that might be different for someone else. For us, it's just what, what we use. So we know that, for instance, and you know this too, that if we, if, if we determine that athlete needs 
more work. Let, let's say he's hit his max velocity is really good. Okay. But he, he lacks the ability to accelerate. The first 10 yards are substandard. Okay. And if we take that athlete through a, through a strength emphasis or power emphasis and really acceleration, let's say we use some resistance sprints, 10 yard resisted runs, sleds, whatever, whatever you use for resistance, top end speed will probably suffer. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you put him back on the 1080 and the athlete goes, why am I slower? Well, no, no, no. You're slower because we haven't addressed that particular quality, nor have we trained it. But look, your acceleration's improved. Mm -hmm. So I think you really have to look at, like you said, it's what specific metric. Then you can't, then you can't just, you have to, you can't cast a broad net, particularly when the athlete has a lot of training under his belt as a junior, senior. Mm -hmm. right? I think as a freshman, you can cast a broad net. You're going to see improvements in several physical qualities just through a solid training program, which addresses strength, power, and velocity demands. As that athlete's training age increases, and particularly with the guys that, you know, you think of the guys in the NFL had a 28-year-old where you're trying to address all those things. And that's your population. A lot of Mike is these professional guys. Like, you're not going to respond positively, positively to all these different yeah. stimuli that you just throw at them. Whereas my son, who's 15, responds positively to several stimuli and everything experiences an uptick in improvement. Mm -hmm. Right? As athletes age and as the training age increases, we have to be more specific. So juniors and seniors a little more specific, but we saw, we've done this in the past in colleges, we would see, you know, if, if, if the emphasis for your program is going to be more velocity emphasis in the weight room, so we're not going to push heavy weight, we're just going to work on intent to move fast, and then we test your max strength in four weeks, it's, it's not going to go up. Hopefully, hopefully we just maintain it, but that's, that's, doesn't mean the program we did for four weeks of waste we need to see your, now we need to see your rate of force development, velocity and power numbers improve. And if that's the case, that training block was successful. But if you're looking at the wrong metric, if you're looking at strength increases, you're going to say, I, that was a waste of four weeks. No, 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 it wasn't. We're just, you're looking at the wrong metrics, right? You're yeah. chasing rabbits. So I think it's, as guys are freshmen and sophomore, I think it's very general, becomes more specific as they get older. But then I think you have to really educate the athlete on, Hey, look, this four weeks, we're going to emphasize acceleration. So don't expect a top velocity to improve if you're running, if you're timing yourself in 60s, 80s, 100s. But your first 10, but now a good performance metric is to let's look at your first 10 yards or first five, if it's for a line, whatever it is, and let's make sure we're seeing improvements there. So all of that shit circling back around, right? You're, 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 you're taking all these metrics you're evaluating all these different things with these guys and and i mean it's obvious you genuinely care about improving their performance now johnny comes in and his girlfriend broke up with him and his numbers are shit in the bed now you're you're trying to you have let's say you have all your your receivers they're all split into three groups guys that need to get stronger guys that need to get more powerful guys that need to get more elastic and now you have your most elastic guy who's depressed as hell and he's going to be depressed as hell for like a week or two, whatever it is, or maybe even longer. And now how do you tailor that program? Now you have all these moving parts and you're, you're it, it, essentially, and you're doing it weekly and your entire program is a plan B. Now you need to make a plan C for an already huge, huge moving part. Like how do you, how do you do something like that? What's, what's your move? Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know if there's a right answer. My move, my move to that is, is a, you got to know your athletes, right? Yeah. You have to know your athletes. And that's why I think, I don't think you can ever take out the, the, you know, and I, I don't like this word art of coaching, but just the sense of having a sense of your athletes, right. And the communication with your athletes. I don't think you can lose that piece. I want to know what our athletes are feeling. Right. I want to know what's going on in their life. I want to know as a coach, I want my, I mean, rely on it's why you hire a good staff. You want those four guys to say, because they're going to hear things and see things that I don't see. So it's important to debrief at the end of the day with assistants going, hey, coach, hey, did you know that someone, Johnny's aunt died or Johnny's grandma died and she raised him? Okay, that, then, then that gives us a sense of, of, of why he may be struggling. And that's a conversation with him. And I don't think, but to your point, I don't think we can just change training programs to, based upon life's circumstances. Mm-hmm. Because life is, I mean, life is never going to be perfect. There's always going to be circumstances. As coaches, we have circumstances. But, but really, it's how to get that player to handle those circumstances and handle the stress of training simultaneously. And if he can't, then give him the proper help. But, and and maybe, maybe as a coach, you say, you know, it's, it's, um, if, if you know he's struggling, you see numbers – then it's like, look, we're going to work out won't change, but the intensities uh, that we use are going to change, right? If you're a percentage-based team and you're saying, okay, we're squatting 90% today and you know he's struggling, okay, you're, you're doing – still you're doing your five sets of two, you're doing it with whatever, 78%, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. You're just going to decrease the intensity knowing that there's competing stressors now. It's not just – very rarely, I mean, certainly as you get older, very rarely is physical stress the only stress or the predominant stress in our life, right? I mean, think about now. I mean, you're a gym owner right now. Your your physical stress is the least of your worries at this point, right? Yep. So, and I think as a college athlete, I mean, and that's why I started off saying that I think I, I undervalued the impact that these outside stressors have on an athlete's ability to train at a high level and recover at a higher level uh, early in my career because I didn't take into account the fact that, quite honestly, that they were a human being, right? And And – my my stress at night was only thinking about the workout the next day where they're they're managing they're, that's an afterthought to a lot of these guys right mm-hmm. workout something if it's even a thought <laughs> right yeah, i mean so, oh, oh i'm supposed to work out at noon i forgot i had to work out well, they've got so much going on in their life so i think it's i don't think there's a great answer to that and i probably didn't answer well i think the answer for me is i got to know my athletes my assistants have to know my athletes yeah. not a team that's going to fill out questionnaires every day but we are a program who the assistants may have 10 guys assigned to them that day just throughout the day to have conversations, whether it's in locker room, training table. Hey, how's life? What's going on? And just, you know, how you feeling? You sore? Just, you know, we need to get a sense for where the team is. Um, certainly, there are, there are some times we know there are stressors, midterms, finals, training camp. There are certain, there are certain times when you know as a coach, I have to cut back volumes. I have to cut back intensities. If I don't, these guys are going to make it. And those are times. But, you know, uh, uh, July 10th, when a girlfriend broke up and, and grandma's in the hospital, we don't necessarily know that. And that's why we've got to, we've got to partner with our athletes to some degree on this as well. Yeah. You feel like over, the, over your long career, Aaron, I mean, obviously you've seen the sort of rise in this, sort of very aggressive technological push into quantifying everything to do with training and athletes and et cetera, et cetera. Do you feel like this humanistic approach is something that 
is the, is it sort of on the decline? Is that why it's so, even more valuable now? And you know, really, the real question is: is back then when you first started and you were only using your eyes and communicating with language, how did how would you have managed to um, uh, to have auto regulate the programming in, back in this way when you didn't have the the quantifiable data? Right. Do you know what I mean? I, I, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I agree with you, um, and I have a feeling that you agree with what I'm about to say too, because you asked a question, but I think the answer to your question 20 years ago, as a young inexperienced strength coach, I probably wouldn't, would not have known what to do. Right. I think that comes with experience. I do think the pendulum has swung too far towards technology guiding decisions. And I do think the pendulum will swing back. Mm. Um, as a coach, I think, I think it's important if you lose the ability and I, and I worry about young, when I say young strength coaches, um, I don't like that term either um, because I feel still feel like I'm a young strength coach uh, because I got so much to learn. But let's say people just starting out in this field are going to think this field is about the best tech and then how you how you look yeah. at the data and what you do with the data. When when the data is just to me is just running in the background. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I, there's there's a training problem or movement problem I can't solve as a coach right now. All right, let's go look at the data. Let's see what the data, the data is not going to tell me what to do. It's going to inform me. So, but I think the pendulum has swung now where I think the young coaches think that, that that's what training is. So we can train like right now during the pandemic, they can train people just as well online without the human interaction, which, which I just don't think you'll ever be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I, that's what I said. I don't think you're going to replace the experience of a, of a really seasoned coach not that not that i'm putting myself in that category but i think every year that we coach and the more athletes we coach the more solutions we have without even look i mean we all most of us can look at a 10-yard sprint and i don't need a 1080 motion to tell me what that athlete needs or where i need to go or at least what i need to look for in the data Mm -hmm. right and so but but i think but i think you know 10 years from now are those are the people just getting the profession now, are they going to miss that? I think they might. But I think I think the pendulum will swing back, and I think we're all going to – and what we try to do with our program is just what are the top two or three things that we're going to use to inform us? Okay, they're going to help us make decisions. Not that they're going to decide for us, but what are the top two, two or three pieces? How do we identify them? Are they valid? Because the only thing worse than, than no data is invalid data. Now you're basing decision off of data that's not valid or reliable, as Mike mentioned. Um, and so do, do, I do worry about that, Brooke, that, 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 that um, the younger generation is going to rely too much on that and not develop their coach's eye, as we say. Sure. And I think it definitely is a balance, right? Because what you said before is, you know, life is happening and it's never going to be the perfect situation. I mean, if you have, you know, your championship game and, you know, you face some adversity, that might not also be an indicator that you're going to have a bad performance. You know, there's been countless examples of people that have been sick, they've got fever, they haven't trained the whole week, you know, dog died and they end up having their best performance or hit a PB because of that. You know, it's almost like post-traumatic growth rather than post-traumatic trauma through the the situation of what's going on. So, you know what I mean? It's it's such a hard balance to to, to find. And if you would have had, if you would take that individual that just had their best performance with a 101 fever, and looked at data, 
neuromuscularly, they've been deficient. You said, oh, no, right? Uh, HRV would have been way down. So you said they're not prepared to play. And so that's why, I mean, it's the human spirit, the human interaction, the, you know, that can't be replaced. And so the data just for us kind of, the data runs in the background, right? Mm. And if, if we don't agree, you know, if I, if I believe an athlete needs more strength work and the data says, he, no, 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 he needs more elasticity and speed, you have a hard time, I'm gonna have a hard time going with what the data said against what I really believe that athlete needs. Um, and so, but to your point, it's a great point. So <clears throat> even to, to even go back again to the difference in the three phases, right? The, and this is more of a suggestion, I guess, but between the reactive, the power and the speed and, and the, the strength rather. In, in my experience, the speed aspect, it needs to be closer to your, your, your actual your actual speed in order to develop it, right? 90, 95%. Power could be lower. Strength, even lower. Maybe a suggestion to that, to, to fix that issue, would be anyone that's going through any kind of shit, you just say, hey, throw these guys more into the strength, the strength aspect. It's going to be a lower intensity. Even though the RPE will still be up, it really won't be nearly as stressful. It won't drain the CNS nearly as much. Yeah. No, it's, that's a great point. Yeah. I agree with you. I think, and even to that aspect, I don't think even if, even if it was, um, even if, even if the athlete had nothing extraneous going on in their life that required extra recovery, you know, I don't think you need to train athletes at 90% of a yeah. max to get stronger either. I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> exactly. You've seen great strength gains on two day a week programs in season 80 ish. 77 to 82% of one rep max. So, and, and that's to your point. I mean, it's um, obviously not taking sets to failure at that point, but, but I think that, that I, I think as far as from a CNS standpoint, it doesn't pose a substantial risk of, of delaying recovery. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the strongest my squad had ever gotten, I had set it to something like, I don't know, maybe like a 405 max. And I had not squatted above 80. 80 or 85% for like 16 weeks. And my squat went through the friggin' roof. And I don't think I'd lifted anything heavier than like 315 that, in, that entire time, you know? No, and in fact, you run across athletes and you've run across these guys who are a little bit weaker than their peers and are consistently loading the bar with more weight than they should or more weight than they can handle. And on a consistent basis, it turns into max efforts. And these people... These athletes, not only did they not get stronger, they continue to get a little bit weaker. And their, and their solution to that is to load the bar with more weight. Yep. When, when they have to understand that, like, if you take a weight you can do five times and do it for a set of two or three, you will gain strength. You'll gain strength, to your point. I mean, it's, um, you, you're looking at, you know, you probably put 315, 320 on the bar, and, and you're maxing up over 405 and didn't touch anything over 360. And mm -hmm. still got stronger. Yep. So, so what are you planning on doing now? Now the the amount of money that your guys have available to them now versus with the Giants are completely right. different. Um, what do you What are you planning on doing now for recovery purposes with your guys? Well, first, first, I think we got to evaluate what we have, and and I don't have a good answer to that. Yeah, uh, we were in the office about four days. 
um, in the middle of March, <laughs> right? And I haven't been in. I haven't been in since. So it's uh-huh. something. Um, for and look, I think I don't think you have to spend a ton of money on recovery because I don't think that the fun. You know, there's fundamentals with everything, and and I don't think the fundamentals are, are being nailed. Even I, I'll be honest with you. Even in pro athletes, I don't think the the nail on the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Um, the fundamentals, as and we can, and, and these are boring. They're not sexy, and that's why people don't do them. The fundamentals of just let's get our nutrition and sleep right. Right. I'm a big believer in 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 breathing methods. Um, the, the power of 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 breath to upregulate the parasympathetic nervous system. Um. And I, and I think, I mean, just you guys can sit there and think that what if, what if everyone you trained nailed nutrition, nailed sleep, and spent two 10-minute sessions a day trying to upregulate the parasympathetic system via breath work? That, I mean, not, 90% of this is nailed now. Now, if you want to knock yourself out, you want to spend money on some Normatec boots, um, or you can just lay on the floor and put your legs vertical on the wall. Right. I mean, it, so there, there, I don't, I don't think that, I think that the sexy recovery tools get athletes to utilize them more. I don't know if they're more effective than doing the fundamentals really well. It's like a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I love, I love infrared beds. Are they necessary for athlete recovery? No, because I don't think, I don't think the athletes are nailing the, the basics of recovery well enough. And let's be honest. Some athletes don't train hard enough to need recovery modalities, right? I mean, you have to you have to give your the body something to recover from. Yeah. Right? That requires extra sleep or extra intent on breathing or whatever it is. Yeah, it's like C. T. Fletcher. When I wanted some big motherfucking arms, I did arms every single day. Yeah, right? <laughs> nope, they they need to they need to earn the right to recover. So how how has now been impacting your sleep? So with me, my aura ring, the second the, the pandemic hit, my, my deep sleep was shit. My REM sleep was shit. Nothing, nothing was good. And I'm like less active than I had been, but I guess I'm more stressed, but everything kind of shit the bed during this. Have you noticed any differences lately? It's interesting. Um, early on, yes, I think, I think a lot of people suffer from what you've been. I mean, I, th- I think probably we're all, whether we admit it or not, a little bit more stressed, particularly it depends on what, how much you're, income and job has been impacted, right? I mean, yeah. uh, I think we're probably not as active during the day. That probably has, you know, sleep. the sleep cycle we were once used to now has been thrown off. Maybe everyone's getting up a little bit later, probably more screen time via TV, social media. I mean, I think there's a lot of things. Maybe the diet's a little bit different because you're sitting at home and I think people are probably eating more. So I think, I think there's a lot of things. I've tried to maintain as much normalcy workout schedule, eating as I can. I I know this, like, and I don't know if it's as I've gotten older, because I really didn't track my sleep. I've tracked my sleep, but I've done it every night for two years now with the aura ring. So I have a good idea of what um, impacts or negative impacts. I know that if I eat within two hours of of bed, my deep sleep, I probably won't get any because that's typically what I get earlier in the night. So um, I try to cut off my eating at three or four and it gives me five, six hours before I before I go to bed of a fast, I know that a carbohydrate meal will negatively impact me. And, it, and that doesn't negatively impact everyone. Maybe that's because I don't eat carbohydrates. Yeah. So when I do other people that might 
produce deeper sleep, right? That certainly could be the case. Um, I've looked at a lot of, I've looked at magnesium and glycine, a lot of things before bed. I don't see too much of a trend. I have gotten more deeper sleep the last four weeks than I have over in two years. Typically, um, for better or for worse, deep sleep for me was five to seven minutes a night, um, where it should be probably an hour and a half. Um, but I have, I have managed a few nights where I've gotten 45 to 50 minutes. Um, and I, I've, I've, I've toyed with a lot of things, right? Earthy mats, um, I mean, you name it, I've tried it, right? So now I'm unplugging all the appliances in my, in my room, unplugging, there's no appliances in there. It's as dark as I can get it. Um, and it seems to be helping. Um, but, but I don't know. Um, so I'm constantly, and you can't change everything at once, right? Because then you don't know what's working, but, uh, I, I, my meal schedule is pretty much, uh, consistent. Um, trying to get rid of the appliances in the room, get as dark as I can. And which, you know, the summertime for me is the worst because I still want to get up at four, but that means I got to go to bed at nine. The sun's still up. Right. So, uh, so that poses a problem, but, but no, it's been, um, but I think a lot of people are struggling with just circate your circadian clock is completely changed at this point, right? When your first meal of the day, the first sunlight of the day, when you get up, when you go to bed, the, what you're watching before you go to bed. I think, it, I think it's impacted a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's so funny. I remember before, before you had left, we were talking about the things that you should do before bed or shouldn't do before bed or your last meals. And I, I had said that if I make my last meal a vegan meal, like no animal products, no, you know, and, and make it all fruits, vegetables based sort of thing. And again, keep it gluten-free. I sleep significantly better because it's just easier to digest. Now you're the complete opposite. So for, but again, like you're, you're not carb adjusted. You, you haven't, you haven't been having high carbohydrate. And when was the last time you had a fucking potato? I mean, every once in a while, but every two weeks, or I mean, it just depends. Sometimes it's eight weeks, but but the, recently it's been every two weeks. Like on a Saturday afternoon, I'll have a carbohydrate meal. What's a carbohydrate meal? Uh, it could be anything. It could be it could be just be oatmeal or sweet potatoes, right? Red potatoes. It's it's typically nothing crazy, but um, I I don't see. For me, I just don't get a. I don't. I, I try it, and I don't really see a benefit. No. Um, I just. I'm really good with ro being robotic and every day, I mean, I can eat the same thing for at 9am and 3pm every day and just keep it moving. Right. Um, and, and that's, as long as I feel good, I, I keep going. I don't, I don't, I don't crave much. Um, so I don't, again, I would have to intentionally work my way into a higher carbohydrate diet to feel it's like anything else. Just like, just like if you normally take in a moderate amount, probably if you cut it tomorrow, it's going to take you time to work into that. Like anything else, right? Like going to bed earlier and getting up later, or vice versa. I think it just takes some adjustment. Yeah, that's why I don't think there's one. How do you feel? Are you healthy? Uh, do you have enough energy to train? And 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 you know, metabolically, are you healthy? And so that's. I think that's a different. Could be a different diet for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I, I, I'm on board with that. All right. Let's, let's get you off the horn now. You're, you're good. You're off the hook now, dude. Thank you. 
Thank you, Thank you. so much for coming. I, I, I want you to come on every fucking week if it were up to me. Um, and I can't wait to see all, all the awesome shit that you end up doing with Indiana, man. Like it's, I'm, I'm so pumped for you. I appreciate it. It was great to see you guys. And yeah, good, good to see you, Aaron. Good to see you, buddy. You guys take care. All right. We're, we're back on. So right. you, you know what I want? I want in however long, and once his contract is done with Indiana and this motherfucker decides to retire, I want him on this podcast and we just do a complete undisclosed. Yes. He is such a wealth of information. That guy, I mean, so just so you guys know, we hopped off um, and started, we, we, we actually had to edit, edit some, some stuff out because we started talking about topics and I'm like, you know what, like we, we just need to cut this because with, with NCAA and, and, and all these guys like talking, talking shit about different ideas that certain guys have, opinions with training, opinions with diet and all, people get pissed off. So, I, I mean, Wellman knows so much. He knows oh so much. He's, he's so smart. I mean, the dude's got two master's degrees, a PhD. If we're up to him, he'd have another 10 fucking PhDs. I mean, I can't wait. I honestly can't wait to, to, to get that guy back on again and, 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 and to get him completely like just like opening up and, and talking as much as possible. He is so fucking smart. Yeah, those, those 15 minutes we just had, they were, were way class. better than what we had on the podcast. Class. So much better. <laughs> so much better. The rest, of the, the rest of the conversation was boring. <laughs> so, yeah, man, what a great dude. Oh, I love him. Bro, he is. Yeah. yeah, what? So, I met Aaron. He got the job with the Giants. Then I ended up, uh, I ended up talking to one of my buddies who's with the Giants. His name is Steve Canelli. He's awesome another we got to have steve on here steve's yeah. steve's a man i love steve mm -hmm. um he's the best and he put me in touch with aaron and i emailed aaron then we ended up i don't know if we hopped on a phone call first but he ended up coming to the gym and then he kind of gave me the okay and we've been we ended up going out to um ohio to hear buddy speak uh mark uyama speak um and, and a couple of the elite guys were over there too. And uh, it, I mean, I, Justice, Justice was over there, the, the strength coach with, with the Jets. And Aaron and I got, we, I, we got pretty close on that trip. Like we, we uh, he kind of like let down his wall a little bit and he just, uh, me and him have been boys ever since. I fucking love that dude. I mean, I could talk to him. I, I, I genuinely wish, and he, he, when he was here, he barely had time because the guy was, only in the was always in the facility. I genuinely wish I, I could talk to him as much as I talk to you, like once a week, we'd have like an hour or two long podcast together, and I would do that forever, and I'd, I wouldn't stop learning from the dude. Sure, 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 sure. I mean, you hear well, how he, much stuff he's got in his nuts. programs too, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's really well thought out. He's not the typical... I don't know. I remember that from the very first time. He had a great relationship with the guys in the gym. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, 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 he's a class act. Class act. That was good that time we went out for chicken wings, too. <laughs> well, we went out for chicken wings. That motherfucker had chicken and, and lettuce. Dried chicken. No <laughs> sauce. <laughs> Bit of salt and pepper. <laughs> so, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Good dude. Yeah, there's so much I wish that we didn't have to worry about 
what other people are going to think and because he's at this place and like, yeah, you know, I mean, talk but how, how cool is that too, that his, I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's an Indiana guy, but from the giants, he actually left an NFL team to go to the big 10 and they're not even like a good team in the big 10. Right. But I mean, he's, he's, he's where he wants to be. It's exactly where he wants to be. Just like he said, he's gone back home. Yep. Good for him. Good for him. I mean, I wanted to really ask him also, what's he excited about? You know, maybe also that would have to be when things are finished and then yep. he can really, because, you know. I, I, yeah, I, there, I, I, have, I have 30 fucking questions that I wanted to ask yeah. the dude. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember also he was, re like, we were going back and forth on the email a bit when I left the last time about different of those uh, my reflexive positions and stuff like that because he was interested. Like, he's super open-minded. I mean, this guy forgotten more than I'll, you know, than I'll ever know probably. And he's, mm -hmm. you know, he's open to hear for, you know, from anybody. So he's a good dude, man. He's a very good guy. Yeah. He had me, he guy. had me over with the giants and I started talking about, uh, you know, different acupuncture channels and, and meridians and stuff and how I would approach certain things with body work and then with training and, you know, to, to bring them all together yeah. with, you know, the Eastern Western with, with training and shit. It's, he, he just wants to learn. I mean, yeah. you can't, can't knock a guy like that. And he's just going to keep getting smarter and better. I mean, he'll be, uh, I would not be surprised if we, we talk about him as if he's the best strength coach in the country at some point. Man, I, if he you know, isn't already. Yeah, if he ain't already. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 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 Now he's good. He's disciplined, super, you know, inspiring too. Especially when you get to know him a bit more and you, you know, it translates into everything. I'll never forget with that PhD when he was talking about it, it was like, someone told me once, it's an hour every day. I can't remember how many years he said now, five, six, seven years or something. And that's all I did. Just keep showing up every day. Yeah, that's... And, but So what's cool about him and his approach, his approach to his diet and his life, it's all the same thing, right? But mm. because he doesn't deviate nutritionally, he can do it day in and day out with minimal deloading. Whereas, whereas some schmuck like me will have a huge fucking breakdown because all I'm doing is eating, eating Captain Crunch or I'm eating Lucky Charms or I'm eating three pounds of double fucking mutts. Oreos. Yeah. Oh, double stuffed Oreos. Bro, I, I can sit down and pummel down a sleeve of double, double stuffed Oreos within five minutes. No I know, I've seen you and you stack them all up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'd find that picture and put it in the show notes. <laughs> so one thing i wanted to mention because you know i need to go in a little bit how good is that logo from cheeky oh my gosh i love that logo it's the best it's the best when it's i saw perfect. it i fucking loved it you know your <laughs> your face in that reminds me of those you know those big megalithic structures from easter island do you know what i mean i have no idea what you're talking Bro, about i'm gonna send you a picture of this you're gonna fucking crack up we'll do it afterwards and uh, man, yeah, awesome. And she did that on Microsoft Word. How is yeah. you know she got a talent at this, mate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, she's 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 super smart. I mean, she's she's one of those chicks you can, or one of those people that can read a book or read read a page, know the page instantly, understand it, comprehend it. I mean, she yeah. she's doing acupuncture school right now, and she just finished cool. just finished one of her first class, her TCM one. Her average, she had a ninety eight average. 
And the only reason it was a 98 was because she didn't feel like arguing with the professor over a couple of points that she got off on her final. But cool. she ended up being right. She looked in the book. She goes, see, it's right there. And he just took it off. I, I guess because he just, I don't know. You want to give a perfect score. Yeah. And he doesn't. So she's averaged like 102s, 103s on her quizzes and stuff. And I think she got over 100 on her midterm too. And he doesn't give higher than 100s. So it just so she got 98. She's super, super smart. But I mean, she wants to write children's books. She wants to do acupuncture. And she yeah. can do whatever. And she can draw. She's, she's fucking, she's awesome. She kills it. Smart girl. We went back with, what was it? One, one voicemail, voice message each about, oh yeah, like the guy from the hangover, the silhouette, about our two faces like that, maybe with cigars or something. And then bang, she comes up with this and it's just perfect. Yeah. And everybody loves it. I got some great feedback from people. Yeah. Everyone that, everyone that saw it was like, that's it's absolutely perfect mm. it's perfect yeah definitely definitely well done chiggy come and see me soon yeah and you yeah. too yeah if she goes i'll go <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe yeah all right well, let's cut it there let's cut this yeah